Rabbanit Leah Sarna and Rabbi David Wolkenfeld. Shalom and welcome to the Straw Hat. We are the official podcast of Anshi Shalom B'nai Israel Congregation, an Orthodox synagogue in Chicago, Illinois. This episode is the B'nai Mitzvah episode. To that effect, we will be talking about B'nai Mitzvah at Anshi Shalom and in general. And then we will be interviewing one of the kids whose bar mitzvah is coming up very soon, Nitai Gorlin. Welcome to the B'nai Mitzvah episode of The Straw Hat. I am so excited for the episode, and I'm also really excited that we have a whole stretch of B'nai Mitzvah that are going to be celebrated in our congregation. Is one of them really important to you? They're all really important. (laughs) To me, one of them uh, is the bar mitzvah of our son Noam uh, in uh, just uh, a few days from now, but uh, we have a whole slew of B'nai Mitzvah, a season of Simcha in the shul uh, beginning this, this coming Shabbat. Yeah, so let's talk about, let's back up a little bit, because um, before you actually get to the weekend of a bar mitzvah, there's there's actually years of planning that can go on behind the surface. Indeed there is. So, so why don't you tell us a bit, like, how how does uh, bar about mitzvah get on our shul calendar? What's that process like? Totally. So when your child is in fourth grade, we send out, over the course of that year, a kind of a request for dates. And ideally, you'll send us three possible dates that you're interested in, all coming after that child, if they're a girl, 12th Hebrew birthday in one day, or for a boy, 13th Hebrew birthday in one day. Um, And then we actually sit down with all of the other local synagogues because what would really stink is if um, two kids at the same school had B'nai Mitzvah in different synagogues on the same day, and then it becomes like a popularity contest of like, oh, well, like, the cool kids went to the one that was at Anshay Ahmed, and the not cool kids went to the one that was at ASBI, or more likely the opposite, (laughs) let's be real. But (laughs) the cool kids always come here. But but anyways, right, so we try and really... So, like, we're totally happy to have a B'zade's Bar Mitzvah at Anshay Ahmed at the same time as the CJDS bat mitzvah at Anshi Shalom, but um, but we don't want a CJDS bar bat mitzvah here and and also somewhere else that um, we really work to avoid for all sorts of reasons. Um, and so it's actually kind of fun. Like I then go to a meeting with the ritual director at Anshay Ahmed and someone from Temple Shalom and we call in Mishkan people and other people as relevant um, and we fight over dates. Um, and usually it's not particularly aggressive, but really sometimes it is. It's like, well, this CJDS bar mitzvah for us has to be on this date because we know it can't be on that other date and it conflicts with one of yours. So you have to move yours. Um, and it's a real, it's a real time when, when all of the local communities work together to set that calendar. And then, um, you don't really need to do anything until about a year before the bar. So it just so happens that we have so many in a row at the end of summer. That's when kids are born in our community 13 years ago, 12 years ago. I I think so. I think basically, well, not all at the end of summer. A lot of people don't want to have the mitzvah during the summer months, um, because like all your friends are at camp or you're at camp or people can't travel or whatever it is. Like there's also meaning in Chicago, Many people choose not to have B'nai Mitzvah um, in, let's say, I don't know, January. Um, your out-of-town guests might not make it. The celebration that we have of a bar about mitzvah does not need to happen the Shabbat immediately after um, the birthday. Um, you, at that point, your child is, at that point, a bar or bat mitzvah. They're obligated in commandments. Um, but the celebration of that coming into obligation can happen at a later date, and many people take advantage of that flexibility to make it convenient for themselves and their families. Right. We also don't uh, want to schedule a B'nai Mitzvah for the midst of the Chagim. That, that that doesn't work for many, many reasons. So it's we cluster them before, we cluster them after. Sometimes we avoid some midwinter dates. I guess the guests... Uh, 
uh, could be it'd be a shame if they uh, couldn't make it here. It'd be a shame if they couldn't leave afterwards. So yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you try to accommodate that. Um, so so once the date is set, what what's what are the next uh, some of the next steps? So to reserve the date with the shawl, there's like a little bit of a deposit um, that goes in, and then and then basically nothing until a year out. Um, a year out, you're going to want to start talking to the shawl about caterers and just like booking any venues that you might need outside of the shawl. Um, if you're going to do a Friday night dinner for out of town guests in the shawl, you want to book that, make sure all the kind of that kind of details. But more importantly, you want to turn towards the content of the day. There's a lot of skill building that comes along with uh, B'nai Mitzvah celebrations. That's part of what makes them so special. As I mentioned before, like you technically become obligated in mitzvot from the birthday, so there's no need to have a celebration at all. But one of the reasons why we like it is because it's this moment where you can say, I now can fulfill obligations on behalf of other people. Let me learn how to do that. Um, and so that comes along with, for many people, learning how to lean. For many, almost everyone in our shawl, giving a Dvar Torah and engaging as an adult in Torah study, which is a core mitzvah. And so th- that kind of skill building and learning and gaining ownership over a piece of Torah or a mitzvah or some activity that you want to do, that that's really a year-long process in addition to all the logistics of any kind of party or celebration. Great, great. And, and there's a lot of flexibility that our congregation allows. Like I think some congregations, uh, you know, the larger congregations are sometimes uh, functioning like a bar mitzvah factory, and there's mm-hmm. really a, a very set uh, regimen of what uh, the young people are prepared to do and are allowed to do. Uh, our shul, thank God, is, um, is small enough that we can really tailor uh, the experience for the child and their interests and their abilities and the parents' interests and their values, and really we really work hard to make it appropriate for that child. We want it to be something ambitious for them, that they should work hard and feel proud of their accomplishments, studying and practicing and learning new skills, developing new skills over the course of months of study, but also it should be a pleasant experience, not onerous. And that fine line between working hard that you can feel proud of at your accomplishments, but still at the end feel that it was a pleasant experience is, is what I encourage people to take on. Yeah, and a lot of the time that involves a bar bat mitzvah tutor. It does not need to. I exclusively learned with my parents for my bat mitzvah. Um, but... Did they also teach you how to drive? Because that's a... They did, yes. Wow, okay. All right, so I think that's a good, like, event. if you are prepared to teach your child how to drive, then maybe you can be their bar mitzvah tutor. Otherwise, uh, uh, okay, good for them. Um, yeah, well, I think they also, like, didn't want to entrust that to someone else who might okay. not teach me how to read or lean as precisely as okay. might be up to their standards um, or gave a speech as well as they would. Anyways, okay. whatever. Um, they had some very specific ideas about what a bar and botany fashion entail, which they exercised with me and my brother. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but anyways, right, so that you don't need a tutor, um, but it's nice, meaning you guys chose to have a tutor for Noam. Do you want to talk about why you chose to do that? Yeah, we're also not going to teach them how to drive. I think there are some, there, there are some, th- we, 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 we do um, enjoy spending time with our children uh, and, and learning things with them and teaching them things. Uh, and, and Sarah actually, like what our kids turn for, has uh, multiple times a week learns Torah with, with all of them. Uh, I think the um, sort of sort of the tachlis, like like need to produce a you know something and like accomplish something that that added tension we felt was uh, so we could mm-hmm. complicate like our you know our parental mm-hmm. uh, enjoyment of studying with, with with our children and and uh, like a tutor sort of you know who's also look I mean you can know something knowing something is different from. Being qualified to teach it. Being, being good at teaching it. And those are like two different skills. And I, I, um, 
So I feel like the tutors who work in our community are not only do they know the subject matter, they also um, know how to teach that that subject matter. Um, yeah. And yeah. let's just pause for a minute and um, talk about what it actually entails to learn how to lean, which is one of the biggest things that people employ tutors to do. Um, I've taught leaning for many years, and um, it's actually a, a multi-step process of there's a, a certain musicality that goes into it. I've taught many a tone-deaf child also. <laughs> don't worry. It's totally possible. Um, but learning what all of the different ta'amim are, what the notes are, how they work together, how they work separately, um, learning how to identify them, what their names are. When I was learning, I had a much easier time identifying notes with symbols than I did symbols with names. Oh. And I was like, why do I need to know what a tibcha is? Like, it's this one, <laughs> yeah. and, and it goes like this. Um, and my mom was like, because you need to be able to communicate with a gavait, and if she's going to tell you what the trope is, then you have to know what it is. So uh, anyway, so there's like the three-part kind of learning there, but then the other piece of it is learning how to read very precisely, learning how to use a tikkun, which is a book that has, um, we call it like a Torah side and a Chumash side kind of. So like one side of a column will be printed with vowels and cancellation marks, tamim, um, and the other side will be printed without any of that, and that's the side. You practice one side to the next. And then the other thing you have to learn is actually how to how to memorize it, and there's all all different strategies for do you learn half a verse at a time do you learn a full verse at a time and then when do you keep going versus reviewing um and 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 figuring out a system that works for you is what's going to ultimately make a child a great laner and, and religiously i think the the value of, of this process is um multiple one is it's a service to the community so like everyone who acquires that skill is then available to serve their community in adulthood uh, as someone who can read torah and we have uh, torah reading in our shul um every monday thursday shabbos morning shabbos afternoon and we have women's tefillah uh, gatherings of women where torah is read several times a year it's a skill that that every young person who learns that skill is then able to serve his or her community through adulthood uh it's also i i find that the uh, relatively few parts of the Torah that I've learned how to, how to lay in, uh, I, I know them in a very, very deep internal way. It's like in my muscle memory, those verses. And so then if I, those verses then come up like in, in, uh, in Gemara, like, it's like, oh yeah, I, I know these like really well. Like, yeah. And, and, and these some words. of them where the trope is really dramatic, then like, then you kind of remember the majesty of the yeah, Torah Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like it's, it's God's revelation at, at Sinai is then being reenacted when the Torah is read in our congregation through the voice of the Torah reader. That's like, that's a very powerful moment to mm-hmm. uh, to plug oneself into, uh, and it's also a way to it's that that component of Judaism, which is the intact learning and preservation, and then passing on of a coherent um, tradition that has not been changed. Like you, you, it's you, you learn it, you memorize it, and then you replicate it without modifying it in any way. And that that's an important part of the continuity of Judaism that we have a Masorah, a tradition that has been passed mm-hmm. down from teacher to student, from parent to child for thousands of years, going back to Sinai. And uh, when you learn how to lay a portion of Torah, like that, that's that one piece of that that link in that chain that you've now. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to go back to what you were yeah. saying before about kind of the recreation of Sinai, um, which is why people who are reading Torah stand and all that, right? You get to also kind of bring 
like meaning into it with the way you sing it. And um, you see this happening kind of the most with Miggy Lattice stare where people do voices and things like that. But when you know what the words mean that you're saying, in addition to how to read them perfectly and how to sing them with the correct trope, um, you can really like you're adding insight into the Torah that it's not just a memorization process. It's also in some ways a teaching process because people who are listening uh, closely can really can really get something out of From it. Your and- emotional valence and the way that your tones and your, yeah, and your expressions and, and exa- absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, so it's also a way to like teach and, and to continue the revelation that began at Sinai. Yeah, yeah. So, so that and then the the flip side of that is the the Dvar Torah component of the Bar Bat Mitzvah celebrations. I'm sure this most children choose to prepare a Dvar Torah. I work with them to prepare it in, in most of the cases, and I think this is the element of Torah study, the Ein Beit Midrash B'Chidush, that every time we sit to study Torah, we discover new things and add new insights to Torah, and I want uh, the young people in the community to feel that like they're, they're part of that conversation and we don't just um you know open the bible and like what does it tell what does the bible say uh, that, mm-hmm. that's not a jewish uh, attitude we're like okay like what does and we don't read other people's divrei torah and just say them over either right correct we 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 um learn about a conversation around these verses around these passages that has been ongoing for thousands of years, and we join in that conversation and add our own voices to it. I think that that's that's really, I, I think there's like one core idea that I think I want young people who grew up in this shul to understand. I think that's like a, that's a goal of our parent-child learning. It's I think it's what I try to like show them and, and do with them when we prepare for the, write their Dvar Torah for their Bar Bat Mitz. It's like, like this is not, um, this is an ongoing conversation. Like here's a verse, like you, you as a 12 year old, as an 11 year old, you can figure out, you, you can ask some questions about this verse. Like that's a strange word or this, like wh- why is this mitzvah phrased in that way? And wh- what's the point of this story? Why did he say that to to his brother? Uh, mm-hmm. And then you can you can actually see that for centuries, uh, the greatest scholars of our people have asked those very same questions and mm-hmm. they have come to different conclusions and presented different answers to those questions. And you can evaluate what are the strengths and weaknesses of each of those answers and which ones speak to me now and, and what's the significance of the entire conversation to my life. And I think that that's um, uh, more than the actual content. That experience, I think, is so – like that. that is definitional of like how we engage and connect to the Torah. And I uh, want – the young people in our community to have that experience and to share that experience as then as teachers when they um, at, at the occasion of their their bar bat mitzvah. Yeah, and so I mean, one of the questions that we mentioned already that every bar bat mitzvah in our shul we do, they almost all look different from each other because every kid is different and every kid's enthusiasms and strengths are different from every other kid. Um, what about a kid who doesn't want to give a Dvar Torah? They have stage fright or they're they're not interested. Like, how would you get that experience without maybe the being up in, in public in front of everyone? Yeah, so they can prepare Dvar Torah. We can study together, right? That That is yeah, that is your, you know, and any, you know, whatever member of our shul is entitled to to, to my time uh, in this way. And it's, it's something I really enjoy. I love getting to know these um, younger members of our community as they're maturing. And we can go through those the process of looking at the Torah portion and coming up with questions and exploring some answers and seeing what Rashi says and what Ibn Ezra says and what the Nitziv says. We almost always look at the Nitziv. Uh, it's one of my, <laughs> one of my go-to uh, commentaries. Uh, and then uh, what, what, what do they think is, who do they think is right? And what do they have their own ideas? And, and what significance of, of the debate and of the answers are uh, to their lives? And they can have that experience even if they're not ready or not interested in, in, in actually um, then the crafting of Dvar Torah and sharing it in public. I think mm-hmm. that's uh, 
you know, not, not something that every 12 or 13-year-old has to do. Uh, they might also write a Dvar Torah and share it at dinner with their family. I think, like, writing a Dvar Torah is itself a... like or a distribute it in writing. Distribute it in writing. <laughs> we, could do, we could share that with their friends, with the shul. We could do that. You know, any, any, any way that works for them that we're, we're definitely... Um, we can accommodate it. It's... Um, and I just I, I would want families to just feel that that uh, to take advantage of those opportunities. They call, some some people actually write the Dvar Torah with a parent or with a with a tutor or with a teacher from school, and that's also great and fine. And if you do that, you're still entitled to come and and study with me and and talk about it, and we can talk about it together. I'm happy to practice with you uh, delivering it in public. I guess I have uh, some experience, some experience <laughs> giving, yeah. uh, speaking in public in, in the at least in the space in the shul. I can I give my secret pointers on uh, public speaking in our shul. Um, <laughs> what are the secrets? Well, one secret is I always print out speeches with three and a half inch margins on the bottom of the page so that as I read, my eyes don't drift so far down on each page, which makes it easier to look up and out in between paragraphs, Mm. in between sentences. Now you all know. Now you all know. The secret is out. You can all watch as I do this. (laughs) But not for a couple weeks because we have a lot of B'nai Mitzvah coming up, so you'll have to wait. And when we have um, B'nai Mitzvah, after they give their Dvar Torah, you hand them like a packet of stuff. What is yeah? The shul, the, the shul partners with Federation. We 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 are we're subsidizing in partnership with Federation an educational trip they take to Israel, like in high school or in college, and uh, and so I pre- that's presented to them, and uh, and then they're invited to join their parents in the middle of the shul. The parents give birkat koanim, uh, like parental blessings, uh, as 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 is done on Friday night in many homes, and uh, and and then we. Uh, get to throw candy if they want, and we sing and dance, and it's a way for everyone to feel the real, the simcha, the, the joy of another young person has joined our ranks and is, uh, you know, a proud, a proud Jew. So there's a, a quite controversial blessing that some parents choose to say at Bar Bat Mitzvah. What are your thoughts on, what is it, and what are your thoughts? Yeah, the Brukshab Tarani Mon Shoshel Zeh, which is often like a, the father gets an aliyah, he would say this bracha afterwards, like, I, I'm now exempt from... Uh, any punishments incurred by my yeah, child? Yeah, yeah. Because now the kid gets punished for his own. So it's sort of an. I think the history of the bracha, I think, is is um, not not very well attested, and it um, is sort of an odd sentiment to express publicly at that time. So I think in some communities it's common, in some it's less common. Most families don't say it in our community. I uh, um, it's certainly they're welcome to, but it, it's um, yeah. Controversy is the word. I guess most people's parents don't choose to say it. I think it's uh, uh, obviously it's fine. You know, if, if that's something that they want to do. Mm-hmm. And and there is some other liturgy that we do use. So when a child is called up either in women's tefillah or in um, our kind of standard service, mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever we call that, um, then there's there's like mishaberachs that are said for them and for their parents because it's a lovely milestone both for the child and for the child's parents, right? The, the, a little bit of what that, what that the bracha we just mentioned expresses is the sense of like, you made it, you know, yeah, like, yeah, and, yeah. and I think it's kind of funny because in America, we don't think of, of maturity until 16 or 18. Um, and yet in Judaism, we say, no, like, you're 12, you're an adult. Um, and, and it's kind of strange. And yet, as someone who works with children of all ages in our show, you really do kind of see this shift around. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think be, look, being an adult can mean many different things. And I think it's you know, culturally, that seems to be, you know, the whole... Uh library of literature about the odyssey years i think people aren't adults odyssey in america you know years. until they're 35 uh, <laughs> you know i mean signs of it used to be signs of right you know people had uh, stable jobs that, that they were going to stay at for many many years and they were married and they were living in the communities where they would live for many many years all by age like 23 you know that was mm-hmm. you know uh, and now that's pushed off you know or some elements of that are pushed off for 
10 or 20 more years in addition, you know, so, so that's, that's um, certain science, sociological science of adulthood are pushed off religiously, you know, 12 or 13, like that's, you know, in terms of doing, doing mitzvot for others, doing mitzvot for reals instead of just for practice, like, mm-hmm. like that's, uh, that can begin at that age. And I, I see, um, you know, people sometimes rise to the occasion when, when they are uh, empowered, entrusted really with this, these responsibilities, people rise to the occasion. Is there a dear right to for certain mitzvot? We we actually don't, you know, assume that a bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah is necessarily an adult for a dear right to mitzvah. We sort of wait a little bit longer for. So what? How that might play out is like if um, someone's bar mitzvah or shabbat zahor, right? We we would be hesitant to allow that. Yeah, just to be, just to be very it, just zahor, to be yeah. explicit and yeah. you know fully explicit. Uh, uh, like bar mitzvah at thirteen is like a rabbinic assumption that at thirteen someone is mature, and so therefore for rabbinic mitzvot we treat them as an adult. So leading tefillah or reading Torah. Um, but but actual like Torah level adulthood it waits until puberty and so um, like a and so therefore for Torah mitzvot like reading um, the Parshat Zachor on, on the Shabbat prior to Purim or reciting Kiddush on Friday night is a biblical mitzvah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really wouldn't have a thirteen year old kid you know uh, do those mitzvot. We'd wait for someone who's a little bit older uh, for, for biblical mitzvot. Yeah. Um, the one last thing I think we should mention is that um, once there is a bar bat mitzvah date set, uh, we do have a b'nai mitzvah handbook um, that we make available to people kind of at any time. It's on the show website. And it, it kind of expresses many of the ideas that we've talked about now and, and also many details like the candy you throw should not have nuts in it and shouldn't hurt people when it hits them and, you know, kind of the little things like that. Um, but, I mean, we put a lot of effort into it and it's um, it, it has a lot of kind of the specifics but also broad ideas about what this might mean for, for a kid who's coming of age. Um, and Yeah, and I would say I would say everyone, you know, I, I think there's no reason why in terms of listeners to this podcast, if you are, don't have a child who is approaching Bar Bat Mitzvah, I think there's no reason why you should like need to learn or be interested in learning about the logistics of how one arranges things in the timeline of when you book a caterer, et cetera. But I think anyone who's connected to our shul or anyone listening to the podcast, I would like read the first page where we lay out our philosophy of, of what, Jewish adulthood. what we're trying to accomplish, what we're hoping for our, the young people in the community as they approach this stage. And uh, we're going to make it available in addition to the shul website. It's going to be linked, the whole document will be linked to the um, I guess the podcast notes, um, mm-hmm. and we and we'll try to share it, and we encourage you to read it. And if you have questions or comments or reactions, like please get back to us because I think it it is a. Uh you know, well written. It was well written by you after Thanks. following our following uh, some conversations that the two of us had together uh, last year, and I I think it should be disseminated. And I would encourage our listeners to read it and let us know what you think. Yeah, so we have a whole bunch of different kinds of B'nai Mitzvah coming up in the coming weeks, and hope you will join us in Shul to celebrate these really uh, two girls and two boys coming of age in our Shul, and how exciting um, a moment this is for our community and for these families and for these kids in particular, or I guess now adults mm-hmm. in particular. Um, and yeah, we look forward to seeing you in Shul. Mazel tov. We're here with Nitai Gorlin, who's going to become Bar Mitzvah this fall. When's your Bar Mitzvah? September 21st. What Parsha is that? Uh, Kitavo. What do you like about the Parsha? I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff happening in the Parsha, but like it's a big accomplishment after you finish the Parsha. Everybody knows, like, oh, you did the Tochacha. Like, there are certain parts that are very memorable of, from that parsha. Yeah. Do you know how many psukim the Tokacha is? Um, 63 for the sixth aliyah and, I don't know, maybe like five for the fifth aliyah. So, yeah, there are a lot of... Lots of Tokacha. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's been hard work, right? Yeah. When did you start working on it? I started working on it probably around a year ago. I started a year out for my bar mitzvah. And then what does it entail? So how often do you practice? Who did you study with? I studied with Rachel Slutsky, and towards the beginning, I practiced every night. I did one pasuk a night, and that really helped me start my parsha. And then once I became more comfortable, I started working on some other things like Musaf and Haftorah. So, yeah. Oh, cool. So you're going to be leading the whole parsha and the Haftorah and then leading Musaf? Yes. Awesome. And do you have lots of family coming in? I do. Yeah, most of my family's coming in. That's exciting. It is. I'm really excited for both sides to be in the same place at one time. Yeah. Family sometimes bring people together yeah. in a way that's really nice. And what my parents always said when I when when I was bat mitzvah was it's the most low stress of the simchas. Like you're not like bringing a new person into the family, which you're doing at a wedding or at a bris or simcha bat. It's just like we're all here and we love each other. Yes, exactly. And that's very comfortable. Um, what other kinds of celebrations are you doing other than reading Torah and haftarah and masaf? Are you having a party? Oh, Kiddush? yeah. So I'm doing a kiddish and I'm having a video game party, not a like an arcade game party at uh, Lucky Strike. So, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a lot of different little events. I'm also doing a Friday night. For, like, family and stuff. Yeah. That's nice. So it's going to be, yeah, really exciting. I have a lot of events. Yeah. Are you giving do. a Torah? I am, yeah. What's it about? Preview? Um, so it's it's about um, how you can look at a part that says um, rejoice in all the good, and it's about interpreting that in different ways. Hmm. So, yeah. and who did you work on that with? I worked on it with a Rabbi David Wolkenfeld. Oh, who is that? <laughs> Just kidding. He's my co-host. Um, and have you been practicing so that everyone can hear you give it? Yes, I. I <laughs> I'm pretty good at um, projecting. I just speak really fast, so I'm working on slowing it down. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rachel's a great teacher for that stuff, yeah. though. Also, I hope you're practicing with her because she, she really uh, gets people to speak slowly. Okay, yeah. Have you ever spoken to a crowd that big before? Um, yes. The CJDS musical I had to. But last time I was mic'd, so this time it's going to be uh. a lot different. I have to use... Uh, it has to be all my own voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of uh, air through your diaphragm kind yep. of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's uh, it's important to learn how to do that. I was at a, a wedding this week on Sunday, and the mic like broke down in the middle of Shabbat Brachu, and you could tell the people from Orthodox environments could just project um, really well yeah. because they're used to it. That's what you do on Shabbat. Yeah. So tell us other things about yourself. When did you come to Anshay Shalom? So I came to Anshay Shalom 11 years ago, I would say. Hmm. So when you were two? Yeah. Ish. One, one or two. Yeah. yeah. And what have you liked about it since then? Why have you stayed? Um, I don't know. Really, the community here, my, mostly my parents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> but, like, what I enjoy is that, like, you can go to shul, you can daven, and then after you can be with the people you want to be around and, like, just have some good conversations that you don't normally get to have. Oh, yeah? Like what? I don't know. Just, like, um, normally you're distracted by your phone, like, you have to check that. Then you can just have, like face-to-face -face conversations about, I don't know, whatever you want, music, 
music's a big topic that I talk about a lot. Oh, yeah? Do you play any instruments? Uh, I play piano and ukulele. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Did you teach yourself ukulele, or do you have a teacher? I have a teacher for that. I'm switching to guitar for my bar mitzvah, so yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's gonna Are you be... going to be playing at some one of your events? I might, I might. Yeah. That's exciting. Ukuleles are really fun and transportable, but they're not very loud, so Yeah, that's why I'm such a guitar. Do they make electric ukuleles? Um, you can plug it into an amp and like make it sound electric. That's kinda cool. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. Um, amazing. So you like music and you talk about that a lot yeah. at like Kiddish and stuff. Um, and if someone wanted, heard this podcast and was like, Wow, Nitai sounds awesome, I wanna be his friend, uh, where would they find you? Um in shul, I normally sit with my dad. Uh, Who's your dad, by the way? Um, Daniel Gorlin, Donnie Gorlin. Depends cool. on how you know him. <laughs> um, but normally, um, all the way to the right, in one of the middle section of the men's section, one of the, yeah, probably like K or L, all the way on the right. All right. So, yeah. K or L, all the way on the right. Yeah, probably around there. And you'll be having your bar mitzvah parsha kitavo. Yep. Um, and we're all so excited for you and wishing you a huge mazel tov and excited to see, you know, the, the person you grow into after this milestone. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thanks for coming in. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Thank you, as always, to our producer, Haley Leventhal, for all the hard work she does to make this podcast happen. If you have positive feedback, please tell us in person, by email, send us voice notes. It's all good. If you have negative feedback, you can write it out on pieces of candy and then chuck them at us during one of the B'nai Mitzvah celebrations in the coming weeks. Have a wonderful week.